Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadow lark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and glad you're joining me again this week. And uh, evidently, uh, I'm, uh, this is a bi-weekly podcast now. <laughs> no, not intentionally, but it has seemed to work out that way the last uh, three episodes, I think, three or four episodes. But anyway, glad you're joining me today. I think we got a really good one today. I want to talk about 21 ideas to help you grow a lot of food on a small homestead. So I think these are going to be ideas you can use uh, for an urban or suburban or even a rural homestead for increasing the amount of food you grow. So I hope you enjoy it today. Uh, We'll start out with an inspirational quote of the day. This one comes from Wendell Berry. He says, I can think of no better form of personal involvement in the cure of the environment than that of gardening. A person who is growing a garden, if he is growing it organically, is improving a piece of the world. He is producing something to eat, which makes him somewhat independent of the grocery business. But he is also enlarging for himself the meaning of food and the pleasure of eating. You know what? Nobody should underestimate the influence of a simple garden. It can do so much more than provide food. But you know what? It can do that too. So that was today's quote from Wendell Berry and a few of my own thoughts on it. Um, How about some uh, homestead updates? What's been going on around here? We had some really, really nice weather, and then it turned off a little cold and nasty for a couple days, and now it's coming back to some really nice weather again. So, you know, the weather's been pretty good. You know, we've been getting just about the right amount of rain. Um, I think the next few days it's going to get a little dry, but, you know, it's all right. It's been been really, it's been a really good spring for growing things, getting things started, and, uh, you know, just working around the homestead. So, uh, that's working out real well. Oh, uh, the mason bees have moved in. I put a little video on the homestead front porch. You know what? I don't think I mentioned the homestead front porch on last week's uh, on the last episode. Um, the homestead front porch is our Facebook group for this podcast. Uh, closed group, but just ask and we'll get you in there. Just search uh, Facebook for homestead front porch and uh, request to join. But anyway, in that group, I shared a little video of some mason bees flying in and out of the mason bee house I put up. And uh, it's really neat to watch them. They would, they'll go in the tubes, then they kind of back out because they find that right size tube that just barely fit, they barely fit into, and they will come back out, and then they turn around and they back in. Well, then they'll lay their eggs in there, and then they fly and get mud and stuff, and they come back and they pack mud and seal the uh, little tube off. It was really neat to watch. I was out there one day, just kept routinely going over there and checking it out. I thought, that is really cool. So, yeah, it's neat to watch. And I highly recommend getting some mason bee uh, houses put up around your homestead because they do a lot to, to help pollinate your garden um, and your orchards and things. So, great, uh, great addition to your homestead. You know, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit, believe it or not. That actually goes right into today's episode, what we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Um, I got the roof on the new rabbit tree and the quail aviary, so I think that's going to work out real good. I've got my concerns, though, about this. I, I was going to, like, put some chicken wire around the top and stuff. Well, 
We had a really big possum with a bunch of baby possums all over its back yesterday running around here. Had to take care of that. And it just got me thinking. I was like, I don't know if that chicken wire is going to be enough. I might want to redo and put some heavier gauge uh, wire on that, um, on the window areas and things of that aviary and rabbitry. So uh, they'll be in cages within there, but uh, I don't really want them getting in there at all. So I, um, I don't know. I might be rethinking a couple things on that. But anyway, the roof's on it, and it's going pretty well. Uh, you know, I planted, I told you in the last episode that I went ahead and planted a bunch of stuff. Well, I planted, one of the things I planted was my tomato plants, and they were not real big. I pulled them out of the greenhouse, and they were only maybe five, six inches tall. And I thought, ah, you know, it's a little early, but I'm going to go ahead and stick them out in the garden. Well, I stuck a bunch of them out, and the um, <laughs> the birds demolished them. I don't know what it was about the tomato plants. They really didn't bother anything else. But they demolished those tomato plants. So uh, good thing that I have a greenhouse. It's going to really pay off because I have a bunch more in there uh, ready to take out to the garden. I was actually going to sell those to some other folks, but I guess I'll be using them myself. And I got some more started already. I already got some more seeds going. So good little rotation there. I want to try to keep going uh, in the greenhouse. Um, you know, it's it's mushroom hunting season around here is also, and I haven't had a chance to get in the woods but I really need to because uh, I've heard of a few people finding uh, some morel mushrooms in the woods around here. So I need to take the time to get out there and find some. So hopefully I can get a batch of those this year. But that's what's really been going on around here. Uh, a lot of planting, a lot of yard work. I've been uh, just trying to just make the property more beautiful too. I I do have a house right next to me on one side of me. And I've been trying to find a way to kind of... Uh, build a little wall of vegetation there and they're great neighbors don't get me wrong but you know it's just nice to have that privacy wall there and i've got some trellises there and i have a a a mulberry tree there that kind of it's a pretty bushy one it's not real tall i don't let it get real tall and i keep it kind of bushy it's about 10 foot tall and it bushes out real nice and it kind of creates a little barrier but i also ordered uh some uh, hardy pompous grass the other day there's one section right there where i look right into their back deck area and i've been thinking what can i put there and I ordered some pompous grass, and I'm going to plant that there. And it said it gets 8 to 12 foot tall and you know a few feet wide. And I thought, that'll be a perfect screen. Let that grow up. So hopefully that does well. It's a hardy uh, variety. So I, it said it was good in this zone. So uh, that'll be here in a couple days, I think. And I'll get that planted. And hopefully that'll grow really fast and uh, kind of fill that little area in there and create a little bit of privacy in my backyard and i put in a little trail off of i have a bridge that goes over my little pond and i'm cutting a little trail off of that and uh, that weaves through the trees and out past the greenhouse and over to the rabbitry so i'm just having some fun kind of making things look good around here too i enjoy doing that Uh, it's not all about production i like the um the serenity of walking through the garden and i like to create little paths and put little things along the way and and to me, also, every time you get an edge, it's it's another opportunity, an edge of a pathway or something. It's another opportunity for planting something. So, and I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit as well. But that's what's going on at the homestead right at the moment. Uh, homesteading relevant news. Let's talk about a couple things that I, a couple articles I ran across. This first one uh, is a um, is titled "Rising Demand for Organic Non-GMO Grains Outpaces U- U.S. Production." Um, Let me just read some of this article to you. It says, Organic imports rise sharply as U.S. corn and soybean growers contemplate premiums and risks. Increasing consumer demand for organic foods and non-genetically modified organisms 
led to a sharp rise in organic grain imports in 2016, prompting food manufacturers to explore new incentives for U.S. growers transitioning to organic production. According to the new report from CoBank, while U.S. production of non-GMO crops has risen, domestic production of organic corn and soybeans remains well, well short of demand. Domestic supplies of non-GMO corn and soybeans increased steadily in, two, in 2016 as growers converted acreage and captured moderate market premiums, said Dan Kowalski, director of the Knowledge Exchange Division at CoBank. Transitioning to organic production, however, is a multi-year risk-reward calculation that likely holds some U.S. growers back from taking advantage of the market opportunity. According to the report, imports of organic grains, particularly corn, from countries such as India, the Ukraine, Romania, and Turkey, surged in 2016 to meet the, the U.S. demand for organic food production. Imports of organic corn more than doubled from 2015 to 2016 and accounted for nearly one half of the U.S. organic corn supply. The domestic shortfall for organic soybeans was even greater. Roughly 80% of the soybeans supplying the U.S. Uh, organic market had to be imported in 2016. Just just get your mind around that a little bit for a second. 80% of the soybeans supplying the U.S. organic market had to be imported in 2016. Animal feed for organically raised dairy, beef, pork, and poultry products and ingredients used in organic consumer packaged goods are the two principal markets for organic grain production. In order for the U.S. farmers to satisfy this growing appetite for organic foods, analysts estimate that 1 to 5 million U.S. acres would have to be transitioned to organic production. Okay, I'm going to stop reading there, and this article goes on talks about some other things. I just want you to think about this. We... I think, are doing some good out there. Those of you who are like-minded, like me, who, who think that we need to find a better way to, uh, to produce this food. And I think so many people are speaking with their wallets that they're saying, okay, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to make the transition. You know what? I don't, I don't even see a downside to this. Um, I think it's going to be way better for our environment. There's going to be less sprays going down, which I think is the worst thing about GMOs. It's not, I think obviously GMOs aren't good, but I think the biggest problem with GMOs is encouraging, it encourages the spraying of herbicides, um, which are just detrimental to our environment. So I think this is great. I think this is really good news. I love reading articles like this, running across articles like this. Those are some big numbers. Those, those were some surprising numbers to me. I mean, that's, that's significant. So I think over in the next, you know, one to five years, we're going to see a lot of farmers trying to find a way to switch their farms over to organic production. And uh, I'm excited about that for one. I think that's going to be a great thing for our country, for our world. I mean, it's just going to lead to, to a lot of better, a more responsible way of farming, I think. And keep speaking with your wallets, folks. I think it's it's making a difference. I love seeing it. And I think it's going to it's going to make a big difference in the health of, our, of, of society. It's going to make a big difference in... Um, uh, the health of our land, and I think in the long run, it's just going to be a, a way better thing for everyone. So, I think perfect. I mean, I know I know commercial organic growing isn't perfect, but it's way, way, way better than what we've got now. 
way better. It's not like when we grow things organically in our backyard gardens. I mean, it, there are still things in, in it that aren't ideal, but it's it's such a step in the right direction, such a step in the right direction. Uh, on this next uh, news article I ran across, and, and this was brought from a Channel 9 news story in um, uh, Washington, D.C., and it, the, the title is D.C. Mayor Wants to Ban Backyard Chickens. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to play a recording of the uh, the actual audio from the uh, from this news article, and uh, it, there's a couple spots in it that aren't high quality, but uh, bear through it. I think it's a the message here. I think is important, and um, I would just like you to hear it, and I'll have a few thoughts on it. DC's mayor wants to ban backyard chickens. It is a move that bucks the trend in many cities across the country, and as Sarah Consmo tells us, some coop keepers in the district are ready to raise a flap. This Chevy Chase chicken's days may be numbered under D.C. law. We had the chickens for three years, and then we were cited. A year ago, after an anonymous complaint, D.C.'s Department of Health gave McInnes 48 hours to get rid of the family's four backyard hens. He and his wife are both lawyers. They said the only thing we could do was to sue them, which we did. And once we sued them, uh, they understood that we were right and they settled and they gave us a license. But now that settlement may not matter. In this year's budget, Mayor Muriel Bowser is hoping to make that law very clear by banning chickens outright. The Lucavore food trend for backyard chicken coops has detractors. Some say these birds are a health hazard and attract pests. In cities like Brooklyn, Seattle and Madison, it's allowed. In Austin, it's even encouraged with a $75 rebate on the price of a coop. It seems silly to outlaw something like that. Why, if somebody wants to raise a chicken, why not let them raise a chicken? I don't have a problem with it. It's a cheaper way to save money, so anything to save money is good. I don't have any problem with it. I actually had chickens growing up in the city, and uh, fresh eggs are the best way to start a day. I think maybe if you want to ban roosters, that's fine, because you don't get anything productive from that, and they're keeping people up in the morning. For McKinnis, raising chickens is a learning experience. They have one chicken for each of his four kids. Going around and sneaking into the proposed budget, a prohibition on owning chickens, they are basically taking away our, 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 our hobby, our children's pets. He's encouraging supporters and clandestine coop keepers to contact their ward counselors before the budget is passed this summer. In Chevy Chase, Sarah Consmo, WUSA 9. Okay, uh, so there it was. I, I, I hear this, and so often we're hearing about a lot of townships, a lot of especially bigger cities are going in the right direction as far as allowing some animals in the backyards and, and allowing people to, to really take a more homesteading stance right where they're at. Well, here we have a, a city who's going the opposite direction or trying to go the opposite direction and trying to, to outlaw these things. And, you know, and you heard some of the objections to this. Well, they bring in disease. They're loud. They, you know, it's, it's going to cause some problems here and there. Well, those things are fixable. I mean, yeah, you have people who will abuse uh, their rights. They will, I mean, you'll have some guy with a tenth of an acre trying to raise 200 chickens on his property. Yeah, that's out of hand. But you know what? You could limit that. You could put a limit on how many chickens someone has. Roosters, you heard the one guy say, well, you know, I have, wouldn't have a problem with the roosters. I understand that too. You do have to respect the rights of your neighbors as well. So if you don't, you know, they could say no roosters, you know. I understand some things, but to say none because, you know, they're a dirty animal. Well, there's, I don't know if you've ever been to any of these cities or if maybe you're in those cities, but there's 
you know, thousands of pigeons at all times <laughs> everywhere. And so if you're worried about bird disease, you know, there's your, your first area a problem. A few chickens are, are very minor compared to the, the pigeon problems in some of these towns. So uh, those, those really don't hold water. So I'm hoping that this doesn't happen uh, for Washington, D.C. residents, but it, it really wouldn't surprise me if it does. But this is why we have to stay vigilant, I think, in, in trying to always move things in the right direction. That's why we need to try to get others on board with homesteading. We try to help, need to help others to understand that this is a better way of life. And by doing that, I think you're you know more and more people doing it it becomes more widely accepted and it, it becomes it, it, it's to where it isn't a big deal to see someone on your block that has chickens or that's growing food you know it becomes a normal thing and people don't really think nothing of it and it's not a problem but when you see one person out of a thousand doing it or one person out of ten thousand doing it then it looks odd it looks out of place and then people have a problem with it but you know um I, I hope things go well for this. If you're in that area, you should support uh, those who are trying to raise chickens if you're in that area. I don't think it does any good for people in other parts of the country to chime in too much on that. But I will have a link in the show notes to that article if you want to check it out and uh, read a little bit more about it and uh, maybe even leave a response or find out where you can make a difference for the residents there. Okay, let's get on to our main topic of the day. Uh, 21 ideas to help you grow a lot of food on a small homestead. Uh, idea number one. Yeah, we're going to just jump right into this. Idea number one, uh, trellises. You know what? When you don't have room to grow out, what do you do? You grow up, right? Uh, you can use lattice, fencing, uh, poles, wire, rope, etc. I mean, you can you can do a lot by growing your food up. And it's amazing how well it does. I have put in a lot of trellises on my property. I grow a lot of things up rather than out because when you're limited on space, that's what you have to do. Now, something else you can do, number two, is you plant trees. Trees put off a lot of food for you, but maybe you don't have the room for these big giant trees. So what you do is you go with dwarf or espalier trees. Um, you get the most, this is the way you get the most uh, fruit from trees in small spaces. Now, a dwarf tree is just a tree that's limited on its root stock, so it's only going to put out such big roots, it's, and therefore it will only get so big. You got semi dwarf and dwarf. You'll see them all in the box stores. They usually sell these like that. But you'll have a tree that'll, you know, it'll stay at a, a decent height, which is really beneficial anyway because you can reach the fruit. You know, if tr- if it if fruit's growing, you know, forty feet in the air, it's pretty hard to get. But if you keep it under ten feet, you can usually get it with a stepladder pretty easy. Uh, these trees are, you know, small and, and, and make it real easy. Now you can also do what's called an espalier or espalier. I don't know. It's I think it's actually pronounced espalier. Um, where they'll grow a tree on a fence or a side of a house, and you'll basically just train the limbs down the fence or down uh, on, on a design on a house or something like that and keep it flat. And it works really well, and you'll get a lot of fruit, and it'll be very controlled where the limbs grow out. And you'll just have to look at some pictures of a spellier. It's E-S-P-A-L-I-E-R. Do a search on that and look at some, some images of some espalier trees and how they're designed. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, I actually have not done that. I got a lot of dwarf varieties around here that I keep dwarf, but I haven't done an espalier of any. Um, but I like it. I like how it looks and I like the functionality of it. And it's really a good way to get a lot of food in a small space. So I think it works really well. I think number three, a good thing to do if you're really limited on space is put up window box planters. 
Um, these are coming in a lot of different designs. They look really nice. And I'm not talking the ones on the inside. I'm talking the ones on the outside of the house. You hang them under your windows. And a lot of people have in such in them. Not a bad thing to do. It helps with pollinations and things like that. But you can also grow food in these. I mean, any kind of vining or hanging over, something that hangs over and drops down or something low, you put strawberries in them or you can grow greens in them. Uh, but yeah, window box planters work really well and they have a, they have a double function there of beauty and function. I mean, they, they look really nice on a house. I've seen some that look really, really good. Uh, number four, another thing you can do is have hanging baskets. You can put these on a shepherd's hook or you can hang them from a, a overhang on your front porch or something like that and have hanging baskets. And you know what? A lot of people have these and a lot of people are growing flowers out of them and that's just fine. But why couldn't you grow beans or peas or something like that or even tomatoes out of a hanging basket and let them hang over and drop down? Uh, there's a lot of things you can do with hanging baskets. They're not just for flowers. Number five, uh, how about some barrel planters? Now, you can buy these online. They're pretty expensive. But there's a lot of, uh, you can go on online and look at a lot of designs for uh, DIY barrel planters. Now, you take these plastic Usually, sometimes I think they're, you know, 55-gallon barrels, but a lot of times they'll use like a 30-gallon barrel or something smaller. Those plastic water barrels that you see. And they will cut these little uh, slots in the side and kind of use a, um, a heat gun, and you'll pull those out a little bit. And most people, what they do is they put a composting tube in the, in the middle of the barrel where you shove it up to a hole in the middle. And what you'll do is you'll put like food scraps and stuff in that and you have worms in your dirt, and they'll go through that tube. You drill a bunch of holes in that tube, and they'll go through that tube, and they'll get the compost scraps, and they will work it into that soil constantly. And then you plant stuff in the sides of the barrel from the bottom to the top in these little slots, these grooves that you pull out. And um, you can grow a lot of food in a very small footprint using a barrel planter. And they have big results. I mean, they really work well in real shallow, rooted things, but I've seen a lot of things grown in these i mean i've seen greens i've seen strawberries of course i mean i've seen a little bit of everything stuffed in these things and depending on how close you space them together and whatnot um depend it would make the difference on what you put in there but uh yeah they work really well and and they they have a very small footprint so i recommend barrel planters especially a diy one uh, at a great price that way for uh, growing a lot of food in a small space and number six is potato towers there's a lot of different designs for growing uh, with potato towers. Um, and again, a very small footprint. I've heard of people growing, you know, a hundred potatoes in, in four square feet. You know, I mean, uh, j- j- or you could take tires. Some people do these with tires where you fill them up and, and they fill them up as you go. I've seen them made out of fence where you just make a fence into a circle. And a lot of times they'll, you shove straw all around the edges and you fill the center up with the soil, put your potatoes in the center and they'll grow out the sides to the fence. Um, I, you see them made out of wood. Uh, I've seen them made a bunch of different ways, but they're a really good way to grow a lot of food in a small space. Um, I've done the fence deal. I don't know. The, the, the year I did that, I only tried it one time just because I thought it was cool and I wanted to try it. And my potatoes didn't get very big on the one where I made the fence into the circle and the straw on the sides. It worked, but they didn't get real big. The potatoes were about half the size I expected them to be. Um, also, bags. You can use bags for potatoes, too. Um, so it's another good way to, to do it. I mean, they're just 
anything you can grow up in a in a you know in something a container like that and work your way up but potatoes you know potatoes are something we use a lot of a lot of people do and um they don't take a lot of space to grow if you grow them up like that number seven uh pots and buckets uh, also known as container gardening right um you know what sometimes the simple things are the best i mean if you have a deck or a patio you plant a lot of things in pots or buckets. You don't have to use pots. Pots can actually get kind of expensive. I know because I buy them every chance I get. But if you're, especially if you're buying, you know, the, the heavier duty ones that are going to last a long time, the planters, they can be pretty expensive. So a lot of times I will, uh, you know, use five gallon buckets to plant something in. But uh, put those on a deck or along a sidewalk or along your driveway or wherever. And uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. But you can grow a lot of food in small small spaces using that number eight a technique uh, that is beneficial is square foot gardening you do have raised beds uh, do this the small the square foot gardening method it's a great method for growing food a lot of food in a small space and and what it is it's it's a it's a system of growing food together packed real tightly in a square foot one square foot per item now every square foot you might uh, be able to only plant one thing or you might be able to plant two or three or four things or more depending on what you're growing i mean if you're gonna grow radishes you can grow a lot of them onions you can grow some more i mean lettuce you can obviously grow a lot more a tomato plant you might only get one so i mean you have to you know there's a system to the square foot gardening method and this is a book by mel bartholomew um, square foot gardening and uh, it's a great book every gardener should should have this book uh, and it'll tell you the soil mixes. It tells you a lot of good things in there, but it's all about square foot gardening. I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. I think it's, it's one worth, uh, worth having if you don't have it. So, but that's a good method. Number nine, I talked about this earlier, what I'm doing, putting in a walkway off my bridge across my pond. And that is plant along pathway edges. It's a great place to grow food where a lot of people just grow ornamentals. You have a pathway, you have a sidewalk, you have any kind of path on your property, plant along the edge of that. It's a great place to plant stuff. A lot of people will just put flowers there. I love flowers. Believe me, I love having flowers around here. I love having um, uh, things for pollination. The draws in the pollinators, rather. But, but you can put food there, too. There's a lot of things you can grow on a, on a pathway edge. So utilize those spaces. Number 10 is, a, is just a concept here. Make use of unused spaces. Now, what do I mean by that? You might have a driveway that's blacktop. You can put a raised bed on top of that if you get along the edges of that. You might have a parking strip out in front of your house where you live in town. You might be able to plant food in there. You might have a doghouse in your backyard. Do you ever think about maybe boxing in the roof of that doghouse and plant and filling it with soil and putting food on top of that doghouse? People done that. It's a it's a living roof, and you can put whatever grow things on top of that doghouse um etc i mean just anything i mean there's you, you just brainstorm look at those unused spaces on your property and say is there any way i could grow food right there and a lot of times the answer is yes you just have to you have to brainstorm a little bit and you have to think is there something i can do um number 11 is build guilds now i talked about this quite a bit back in episode 49 if you want to go back and listen to that but Guilds are a combination of, of form and function. Uh, the goal is to mimic uh, the stacking and relationship found in nature while also providing useful resources to people. So what you're doing is you're drawing from the idea of a food forest, right? We can generally I- identify 
like seven layers that occur in an ecosystem. You got the overstory, your your taller like higher trees. You have the understory, which are your lower shrub-like trees. You have actual shrubs. You have an herbaceous level, a ground cover level, vining and roots. And what you're doing is you're going to mimic that in your backyard around trees. Say I have for example, I have an apple tree in my backyard. And it would it is the overstory in my backyard because I don't have any trees that are taller than that. Even though in a in a forest situation that actually might be an understory tree because it's not a very tall tree. But in my backyard it's it's actually the overstory. Well under that I could put shrubs, I can put like a comfrey plant or two. I can put um I might whatever, a blueberry bushes um, and then you're, I can grow herbs around that. I can grow some basil or I can, you know, grow some kind of herbs inside that too. And what you know is create a circle around that tree where you're going to have stuff planted. Um, you're going to have some ground cover there. You're going to have, uh, you know, some kind of a vining plant perhaps, or you might be looking at root vegetables or something. So, I mean, there's just things you can do and build a guild. And what you want to do is you want to find things who that work well with other things. You want to find out what's going to grow good there okay you might want to grow if you have a, a high nitrogen plant you might want to plant something that puts off nitrogen into the soil like beans next to that you might want to grow some bush uh, uh green beans next to that and it will help with the nitrogen supply in that in that uh, soil uh you, you try to find these good companion plants and you and you stack them together and and it, it create it, what we call a guild and try to just build you know Every possible location on your property, try to build some kind of a layering system with things working together really well and that'll create a microclimate and they'll work to provide you with an abundance of food. Um, so, yeah, you can. that's a great way to grow a lot of food in a small area. Don't waste those places around things. Utilize them. Build guilds. Um, number 12, aquaponics. Um I think aquaponics are awesome. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. I think I think aquaponics have a, a place, especially in smaller homesteads. They really do. Or if you have a unique situation that calls for it, it can really be a way to generate a lot of foods. Because the, the fact is, things grow quick in these systems. They really do. Um, so if you can put up an aquaponic system to help you put, you know, grow some food, I think it's a great setup. If you want to know more about b- backyard aquaponics. Uh, I don't have a lot about it because I'm not doing it currently. Um, but there's a website called backyardaquaponics.com, and I'll have a link in the show notes for that. They have a ton of stuff there. Uh, I mean, everything you want to know about aquaponics, especially building your own system, your little DIY setup, you can learn a lot through backyardaquaponics.com. So go check them out if you want to know more about uh, using fish to grow your food. It's a great way to do it. Number 13, take advantage of shady areas. Um <laughs> You know what? You you need to have a list of uh, shade-tolerant vegetables, things that aren't going to get full sun. I mean, you might have a spot in your yard and only gets three or four hours of sun a day. There are things you can grow there, especially leafy vegetables and things like that. There are a lot of things you can do there. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a an article I found on um, best shade-tolerant vegetables. And uh, it lists things like arugula, um, chard, kale, of course, lettuce, uh, mustard greens. I mean, there, there's a whole list there of, of things you can grow. Spinach that are shade tolerant um, vegetables that get just a little bit of sunlight. But maybe you have a place on your property that gets almost no sunlight. What do you do with there? Can you? Is that just a waste of space, or is there anything you can do there? Well, maybe you can grow mushrooms there. Uh, 
Um, I've actually been contemplating this quite a bit on one side of my house. I get almost no sun and, um, I'm actually considering building some, uh, some areas there where I can maybe put some wood chips in there or lay some logs down in some maybe raised beds or something and keep that moist and, you know, getting some, uh, some mushrooms going over there. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes to that article on shade tolerant vegetables but i'm also going to put a link in the show notes of a place where you can go to um buy some products where you can actually inoculate logs or 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 wood chips or even straw and things like that to grow mushrooms because i think that's a great way to uh, take advantage of what might be thought of as useless space around your property we can use those uh those shady spots to grow some food no doubt number 14 think high yield low footprint um what you want to think about if you are very limited on space what you're going to think about is okay what am i going to plant you of course you want to plant things that you like but you also want to plant high yield vegetables in your garden spaces okay um think about things that that put out a lot of food but don't maybe necessarily take up a lot of space and uh, there is a link in the show notes to an article on this also of some vegetables that are high output vegetables uh, I'll tell you, leaf lettuce is something you can grow a lot of in a small space. Tomatoes. I mean, we we talk a lot about tomatoes, right? It's a like common food that every person wants to grow in their backyard, but you can get a lot of food from tomatoes. I mean, one tomato plant can give you a lot of food. Cucumbers. I can plant three or four cucumber vines, and I can have 20 or 30 jars of pickles off of that, plus eat cucumbers on my salad a lot of nights i mean squash oh my goodness zucchini uh crookneck squash these things put out an amazing amount of food butternut um if you want a lot of if you want a lot of food and you like squash plant squash it puts out a lot of food for you peppers put out a lot of food they really do you can get a, i mean i got more peppers last year than i could keep up with i was giving them to neighbors like crazy uh, i think uh green beans like especially like kentucky pole beans those things are just amazing. I mean, you'll get sacks of green beans in a real small space with, um, with something like green beans, pole beans. Radishes grow really fast, and that's their benefit. Yeah, it's not a lot of food, but, I mean, you know, 30, 45 days, and you got, you know, full-size harvest radishes from seed. So, I mean, you can plant them over and over and over and keep them going. So, I mean, and herbs, of course, are also something that grow really fast, and you get a lot there, too. Or more than you're going to use anyway. So they don't take up a lot of space. So think along those lines. Think high yield, uh, small footprint when you're planting your vegetables. Always plant stuff you're going to eat. I mean, that that's first key, I think. But but out of those things, think the things that put give you the highest yield for the short, smallest amount of space. And many of those things, like I said earlier, can be grown on a trellis, grown up, where they even take up less space, like cucumbers, for example. Number 15 start seeds indoors you know okay how's this something where i can grow a lot of food in a small space well you get an early start uh by starting where you can which is indoors get those seeds growing get those plants um you know a decent size before it's time to put them outside and you'll get a jump on things and you'll be producing food early and longer because you got a you know you didn't direct sow you started with plants so yeah start your seeds indoors number 16 uh here in the next this one and the next one we're talking about season extension here 
really the last one too. I guess starting seeds indoors about season extension. Uh, but th- number 16 is cold frames. Now this is an easy way to extend your season. A cold frame is a box that, that with a glass on top of it. And you just take an old window or something and make it to where it hinges up. And you'll set this over plants in your garden early before, you know, maybe your last frost date. That way you'll produce some heat for them, keep them warm, keep them insulated from the weather, and get an early jump again on things. So build you some cold frames and set them in places around your garden. And uh, you can definitely extend that season and get an early jump as well. Having a small hobby greenhouse is great for small places i have a small hobby greenhouse myself and i love it i really love it before that i even had a small one it was one of them more like a shelf unit it was like five shelves i think it was and it had just the cover over it and it was maybe three feet wide couple feet deep and i set it right on my deck and i would have that going early in the season so it you know it helped me extend my season things like this are great for a backyard they're not for everyone maybe you really don't have the room for one but they're a great addition if you have the room for one. And not only does it give you an early jump on, on the season, but it's a it's a great way to do succession planting. You're keeping those plants, your next uh, seeds going for your next planting when something's getting ready to come out. If you've got uh, some summer squ- or yeah, some summer squash in your garden and you wanna, you know, replace that with something in the middle of the year, boom, yank it out of there and you got the next thing going in. Spinach you pick early. You might want to get that out of the ground. you got a space. Now you're going to get something else going in there, and you already had it started in the greenhouse. So you just get this rotation of vegetables. We call that succession planting, and it works really well to increase your, your food production. And cold frames, greenhouses, things like this really help to do that. Um, number 18 is attract pollinators. I was talking earlier about my mason bee house, and that's why I put these up because they're going to increase your yields on your garden by inviting these friends to your garden because they they are really going to help every plant give you the utmost of what they can do um pollinators make all the difference if you have no pollinators in your property your yields are not going to be very high if any okay you need these insects these bees around and you want the you want the, the good ones you want to attract pollinators you can do this by like what i did put up some homes for them uh, you can do this by planting certain things that they like to eat. You know, certain flowers adra- attract certain pollinators. Um, so you, you want to, you know, do your homework on that. Find out what you want on your property. And you're not just thinking bees. Butter- butterflies are great pollinators as well. So you might want to plant things that will attract butterflies. So try to draw in these these beneficial insects, which is what I'm, what I'm going to call number 19. Encourage beneficial insects in your garden. And these might be praying mantises. These might be ladybugs. These might be things that will uh, help your garden by eating the harmful pests. So you want to attract not only pollinators, but predators to your garden. Things are going to eat those bugs that you don't want in your garden. So attract uh, beneficial insects to your garden. And certain, again, certain things will do that. Uh, Certain flowers will attract them in, you know. uh, So there's things you can do that will bring, help bring them in. Um, number 20 indoor growing yes one of the best ways to grow a lot of food on a small uh, place small homestead is to increase your yield by growing year-round it really is there's just nothing you can do to beat that 
So if you can set up indoor, uh, some kind of an indoor grow room, and especially for leafy greens, this works really well because it doesn't take a lot of input, a lot of, a lot of light even to grow, um, lettuce, for example, I grow a lot of lettuce indoors. Uh, now that I have my greenhouse, I'm doing it more in the greenhouse, but in some ways it's actually easier to grow indoors. Um, something else I started doing is sprouting. You know, I, I do a lot of, I grow fodder for my rabbits uh, indoors all, all through the winter. Well, you know what? I can eat sprouts too. And so I can grow that for me as well. So indoor growing is, is a great way to, uh, to grow a lot more food on your small homestead. And finally, number 21. Hey, who said this had to be all about gardening? I said food, didn't I? So number 21 is raise small livestock and if you listen to this podcast very long you know i'm a i'm a big fan of rabbits and i'm a big fan of quail uh you get a lot of meat production and even with quail egg production in a very very small space so i mean a garage you can grow a lot of meat in a garage so i say Raise small animals because if you want, if you're looking for food, we don't just think, we think outside of the garden on that. We, we got to think beyond that. So take advantage of small livestock if you can in your area. So there you have it. 21 ways or 21 ideas to help you grow a lot of food on a small homestead. <laughs> Hope those will help you. Maybe get your uh, wheels turning there a little bit and make you thinking about uh, what you can do to increase the amount of food you're growing on your small homestead this year. You know, I love podcasts like this because I, when I think about what I'm trying to do with this podcast, what I'm really trying to do is make a difference. And, you know, it's easy. It's easy for a person with several acres to grow a lot of food. But I always think about those folks that have a small homestead. People like me who have a, you know, a home with maybe just less than an acre, less than a half an acre, less than a quarter acre. And maybe they think they can't do it. And I want to encourage you and tell you, you can do it. And you can do it well. Just how much work do you want to put into it? And how outside of the box do you want to think? So I hope these ideas help you and um, will encourage you. And uh, this is a great time of year to get started. So uh, I hope you do. Um, I've got a couple of recommendations for you today. I want to talk tell you about well, I want to tell you about a podcast that I really enjoy. Uh, if you're really into podcasts, which you might be since you're listening to this one, check out the So Edible Permaculture podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. So Edible Permaculture, that's S-O-W, Edible Permaculture podcast. And this couple is doing some pretty amazing things on their property. And I'll tell you, I just enjoy listening to them. I really do. Um, check out that podcast. They got some really good episodes. And they're they're building an off-grid homestead. And um, they built their house off grid, and uh, they are totally, you know, they got all solar panels, and and uh, they got a nice property, a lot of woods. They're doing a lot of things. They've done pigs, and they got of course gardening and chickens, and you know, they're they're they got a lot going on there. And it's a fun podcast to listen to, and I just love to listen to their to them talk. I mean, they tell some great stories, and they're pretty funny, and they just got a great sense of humor, and, you know, they got a couple little kids, and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a great job, so check out the So Edible Permaculture podcast for my first recommendation. Uh, second recommendation is a book. Um, this book is by Amy Strauss. She has the, the um, what's her website, uh, Tenth Acre Farm, uh, dot com is her website, and she wrote a book called The the suburban micro farm. And 
I've had this book now for a while, and I finally got around to reading it. And um, it's a great book. She has, she knows a lot about permaculture. She 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 knows a lot about gardening in small spaces. So I thought that book would go well with today's podcast. Um, so check out the Suburban Micro Farm if you're looking for ideas and education on growing food, uh, really on an urban lot or a small a small area. And she has a lot to say in that book, a lot of great ideas and suggestions in that book. So check it out. Uh, link in the show notes. Again, this podcast, folks, is uh, made possible by you. I am so glad there are some of you who um, really step up and help me pay the bills on it. Some of you do that by going through Patreon. Uh, some of you do that just by sending a donation through PayPal. And, you know, many of you uh, purchase things for your homestead through our affiliate link. And um, I appreciate that. And, you know, a lot of you don't uh, support me financially, but you do support me in other ways. And that's by sharing this podcast or encouraging me by leaving reviews at iTunes. Um, I'm always encouraged every time I get a review. I see them all. I appreciate it. I don't read them on the on the podcast. If you want to see the reviews, go go to iTunes and check them out. I, I, I The reason I don't read them is it feels weird because a lot of the people say good things about me on there and I don't want to read it just feels weird to read good things about me <laughs> on the, you know, on the podcast. So, but I always am just, uh, thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. I always appreciate your kind words. I appreciate the five-star reviews, especially. And you guys are, are very kind on your reviews. I, I think that you guys say this podcast is even better than it is. And I appreciate that. I always appreciate that. But, um, uh, uh, thank you for the reviews and it really is encouraging. It really is when I get those. So, uh, anyway, if you want to, if you want to support us, all the links for that are in the show notes through Patreon or through PayPal or through our Amazon link. When you make purchases, by the way, that doesn't cost you anymore. If you're going to buy things through Amazon anyway, if you go to our website and use our link to go to Amazon, then we get credit for that. We get a small percentage of what, uh, back for what you purchase. It doesn't cost you any extra. So we always appreciate that as well. It's a great way to support the podcast. So, um, this is episode 61. So, uh, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, go to smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 61 and uh, read all about it. I'll have all the links in there for today's podcast. And, uh, until our next episode, happy homesteading and God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.